You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick. By whom am I going to get reprimanded by? And number two, Shan, don't ever tell me no again on my own show. There's a new sheriff in town. And Matty Rose. The end of the show. I'm George Russick. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Bye. On Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan powered by mortgages2go.ca. Always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004. Visit mortgages2go.ca. We're still taking your text messages. 960, 960, name and location. We'll do those at 830. Waiting for the flames to make trades is like waiting for blank. Waiting for the flames to make trades is like waiting for blank. 960, 960, name and location. We'll talk to Buck Martinez at the bottom of the hour. But right now, editor-in-chief of the fourth period. He's a host on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to David Panyota. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's it's. Uh, can I can I chime in on that? Can I sure. provide yeah. an answer? Please. It's, it's, like, it's like waiting for your crush to ask you out in high school. Oh, okay. Is that, is, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're hopeful, you're yep. ready, and then... You don't, no, you don't want to get too aggressive. Still wait. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. still got to wait another day. Yeah, because uh, it feels like uh, Calgary is the, uh, the epicenter of the trade deadline here. Everything revolves around the Calgary Flames, <laughs> um, because obviously there's names like Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin, yep. and Rasmus Anderson. I, I want to start there because obviously the, the other three guys, there's a lot of talk, but Rasmus Anderson's name has kind of snuck up on some of us here in the rumor mill. Are you kind of hearing the same thing? Because I know for, from my perspective, I would be stunned if the Flames traded him. Yeah, and, and I think Weeks, he kind of got the ball rolling, Kevin Weeks, with respect to, to his name being out there. And uh, I, I think it's more of teams inquiring, right? Like when, when you put out a sign that says for sale, um, you're going to get a lot of different inquiries. And he's not the only one. I mean, teams are asking about almost everybody. So uh, because Craig Conroy is willing to listen and, and willing to listen on a variety of different players that, that have term on their deals – you know, teams are going to knock on the door and say, okay, well, what does Rasmussen cost? What does Manjapani cost? What is this? What is that? And if someone is willing to pay an excessive price, then things will, will kind of get rolling in, in those respects. Um, am I expecting them to move Rasmussen? No. Uh, Manjapani, no. Some of their other assets that they have, not really. Um, but if, if someone's going to pay a premium or, or overpay to get one of these guys, he's Craig Conroy and his staff are, are going to listen. Um, I think the priority for them remains the, the, the pending UFAs, the goaltending situation. When will, if they haven't already, the Devils circle back and, and try to smooth things out? Because that, that deal was pretty much there, um, from my understanding. It was, it was more or less agreed upon and, and at last minute kind of well, fell through because of, because of the finances. And you can, I don't have a clear cut definitive reason as to, as to why. Um, it was kiboshed at the end, but it sounds like somebody stepped in and said, nope, we're not. The money here isn't going to work. Let's try to figure out other areas. So I believe that Tom Fitzgerald, New Jersey's GM, is going to circle back if he hasn't done it already to try to see if, we can, if they can smooth things out uh, in that regard. And then Craig Conroy can focus on that and the pending UFAs. Um, 
Do you have any idea what the package was coming back from New Jersey in this supposed trade? The the primary piece included Alexander Holtz. Um, confirmed that on, from a couple different sources on both sides. Um, he was the primary piece that was included in a package along with, I think, 2 to $3 million in, in retention. Um, uh, those were the prime that uh, he was the primary asset that was, that would have been coming back in a deal. My understanding is it did not include a goaltender. Um, there was the initial belief that Vitek Vanacek might be part of this to help even out the money. He wasn't um, not in the deal that, that was right there. So whether that changes or shifts over these next you know two weeks and, and two days ahead of the deadline, obviously we will have to wait and see, but, but Holtz was the, a uh, key asset that would have been going back to Calgary as part of that deal. As we get closer to the deadline, David, we always look for the domino to fall. Who's going to be the guy that makes everything start to really move here? And we've already seen a couple yeah. of pieces in Lindholm and Monaghan, but is there someone else that you're waiting for right now that will really uh, have things open up here ahead of the March 8th deadline? Outside of Calgary? Um, because, <laughs> because the logjam, honestly, guys, the, the, the big logjam right now, especially on the decor, is, is Hannafin and Tanev mm-hmm. and, and, and what happens here. Beyond that, then it's a matter of, you know, looking at some of the options, um, either the other options, the alternative options on the blue line, which are guys like Walker and Dumba and Labushkin, and then you get into players with term on their contract, be it one year like a David Savard or multiple years like a Colton Pareko uh, in, in St. Louis. Um, so it, 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 from a decor perspective, it, it, everything kind of rolls in and out of um, in and out of Calgary for the time being. And, and at some point soon, usually around the two week mark, um, 10 days to 14 days to the deadline, teams that are interested in these guys start to apply pressure and say, look, do we have a chance or not? Should we shift gears? Um, because time is, is of the essence here. And that's usually when teams start to pivot and then look at other ulterior options or at least put more emphasis on, on the plan B, C, and D's that they're pursuing. Um, up front, a lot of attention on a couple of different centers. You just mentioned Lindholm Monaghan gone. Adam Henrique and Alex Wenberg in, in uh, Anaheim and Seattle. Those are the next two guys from a rental perspective that are kind of at the top of the list. And our team's going to you know, look at these guys, whether it's a Boston or New York um, Rangers or, or – Colorado, you know, are any of these teams comfortable in giving up a first-round pick or equivalent value as, as part of a deal for either Henrik or, or Wenberg? And in Henrik's case, there will be salary retention. Anaheim is going to eat up to half of that deal um, and, and put him in a more comfortable spot financially for a lot of different clubs. It's going to be fun to watch. Now, with Noah Hannafin, do you – what does the list of teams look like for a player like Noah Hannafin in your eyes, David? Uh, well, I mean, uh, almost every team that's currently in a playoff spot would almost everyone, uh, would like to upgrade their decor. So, I mean, uh, you, you, and then you start to kind of narrow it down. So they've all made inquiries and, and knocked on the door, but then you start to narrow things down. Who's got the finances to make it work and who has, who has the assets to make it work? Even if there is some type of retention, now, I, I believe that Calgary's more inclined to retain on expiring deals versus the Markstrom situation with a couple more years left on his deal. Um, so if it's, you know, Hannafin or Tanev and you got to eat a little bit, which still for now they've been reluctant to do, um, then, then you look at, you, you start to narrow down those, those options. Like Toronto, for example, 
They need both. They need retention, and they don't have a first-round pick to include, so they're looking at ulterior options. I don't think that's going to get it done uh, anytime soon for, for either guy. So then, okay, they're out. What about Tampa? They've got the money. They've got the cap space with Sergeyev out, but do they have the necessary assets that would apply here and, and, and be part of, uh, part of a type of package? So you, you have to look at kind of both avenues on teams that are at least expressing interest. Do they have the cap space? Do they have the assets to make it work? Boston's going to continue to enter the equation. Florida, um, to a certain extent, oh, again, a team with cap space, limited assets to, to kind of move, Colorado and so on. So it's, it's yes, every team that is almost every team, I think other than you know, Philly, um, that, that currently has a playoff spot and, and perhaps L.A., uh, other than those clubs, everyone else is kind of interested in, in augmenting their blue line a little bit, but not everyone has both space and or the assets to do it. David, uh, obviously we've heard that if Chris Tanev goes, uh, it, it, immediately the trade will be made if it's for a first-round pick and the Flames are waiting on that. Do you eventually think that they'll get that first-round pick for Chris Tanev? They hold their ground, it sounds like. You're talking to some, some teams out there. They're kind of – I mean, everyone's just waiting for prices to drop a little bit. Um, now, I, I, I talking to one team last night, it sounds like the initial ask is a first plus. Um, what that plus is – I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, that could be a, 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 an additional late pick or, or some kind of asset. But um, and then you kind of go from there. But I, I think I think if they end up with a first round pick for Chris Tanev at the end of the day, I think it, that would be a win, and I think a team would be willing to pay just a first round pick for for that player. Um, but that's more. If that is the case, it, it sounds like they're going to hold their ground and kind of wait it out as close to the deadline as they can to see if the team gets desperate. It's risky because on the on the same end, you may have to take something less if other teams go in different directions. Um, but that that seems to be the situation at the time being. Should the Flames be playing him right now? That's a great question. Um, I think usually around. That two-week mark, we start to see guys getting, you know, scratched um, for quote-unquote asset protection. Um, the way that he plays, and we've already seen a couple little instances where it's been like, uh-oh, is he, oh, okay, good, he's back. Okay, we're, we're fine. Um, I think we're getting to that point where serious consideration has to be made to scratching him and, and protecting that, that player and that asset. If they're dead set on moving these guys, and, and I'll throw Hannafin in that boat as well, um, if, if they're dead set on moving them, um, I, don't, I don't see at this point when we're almost two weeks away, I, I don't know if, if the risk is worth um, having them play and, and risking injury. I, I think we're getting to that point where the decision has to be made, not just for these guys, for some of the other guys that are expected to move as well around the league. We're, we're inching close to that point of, all right, we, we've got to sit this guy out just to be safe. David, um, I'm fascinated by what you make of how the Flames have kind of gone through this first year, or this year in particular. Really, Craig Conroy and, and this new management group, how they've managed this first season. Because I think any new GM would like maybe a little less on their plate for their first year, but this is a team that had a lot to do, and Craig Conroy has handled it pretty well by my money here at Calgary. He has. And, and it certainly helps that he was part of the, 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 the prior regime, so to speak. It, it allowed him to kind of ease into things and still be comfortable. He, he already has a, had a sense 
of, of the club, the assets, the direction. Um, and I agree with you. I think he's done a really good job in, in the first year. Uh, I, I thought the Lindholm trade was solid. I, there's a Dorov trade. I understand why it was made. Um, some people have criticized the assets that were, that were brought back. Um, but, I mean, overall, in the way that he's maneuvered um, the, the, the last month and, and how he'll maneuver the next two weeks are certainly going to be interesting. That's going to put a bit of a stamp on it. But I, I think, you know, for him, he's, he's done a good job. And, you know, still going out there and trying to collect as many assets as he can. Uh, you know what, guys? I think he's going to be pretty active in the summer as well. Um, especially around draft time, utilizing the capital that he brings in uh, both from a drafts prospect, excuse me, from both the draft and prospect side. Um, I think he's going to try to pool some of those assets that still seems to be the overall mindset, pool some of these assets that you're getting for these players and try to bring in some, some guys that can immediately jump in that are controllable in their mid twenties that can come in and be part of this, this, I guess, new core that, that they're developing. Um, I, I think he's done all things considered, you know, the only thing better would have been if the team had performed a little bit better. And, mm. you know, if they were one of the top three seeds in, in the Pacific, maybe that changes the direction um, and, and, and the overall narrative of how this season would have played out with respect to Lindholm and Hannafin and everybody. So um, under the circumstances, I agree. I think he's done a solid job. Uh, now that being said, I'm sure as, like you mentioned, you talked to other teams, you were chatting with another team yesterday, and I'm sure that the flames come up in those chats. How are other teams around the NHL observing what the flames and Craig Conroy has done this year? Uh, for the most part, again, solid. Um, the, again, the only real criticism, uh, has, has been in terms of the moves that he's made was, was related to Zadorov. And just some teams being a little surprised that the return wasn't higher. Um, but, I mean, under the circumstances, there's understanding as to why it was made. The Lindholm trade was a solid move. Um, and a lot of people around the league, uh, for the most part, um, a- approved it and, and said it was a solid return and a good deal. Uh, the, the young defenseman that was brought back, whose name I continue to forget, slash butcher, um, he is, he, he's considered a pretty prized possession. So to have him to add a first round pick to bring in, you know, Kuzmenko, whom if things don't go well next season, he puts up 50 points. There's a potential of generating another first round pick there. If you decide to move him. Um, so all, all in all, and, and talking to a lot of people around the league. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of kudos and a lot of check marks for what he's done. Um, but let's, let's now see, I think the, the final comments will be reserved until after the deadline to see exactly how he kind of navigates these next couple of weeks here. Cause these are obviously going to be key moves and, and very important for the immediate and the long-term of this club. David, what the hell is Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins going to do with the deadline? <laughs> Good question. Um, I think they're, they're Riley Smith has been available for the last month. Um, and he's got another year left on his deal. It hasn't really worked out. Um, his, his cap hit isn't as aggressive as his previous deal, um, but they want to move. If they're going to move him, they want to bring in somebody that can kind of replace him, almost a lateral move. It likely won't happen in the same deal, but move that player out, bring somebody else in to eat up that cap space and hope that that player kind of gels with this club. They, they still haven't made any final determination or decisions with respect to Jake Gensel who's currently injured. He's likely coming back a little after the deadline. Um, They'd like to keep him. I mean, that that much is clear, 
uh, it, it really comes down to what the overall direction of this club is going to be in two years from now. When Crosby's deal and then in three years when Malkin's deal's up um, and then Latang, what, what happens at that point? Are they going through full rebuild or are they going to try to remain playoff competitive and, and hope that the right pieces fit and they can jump back into, you know, cup contender status? That, that weighs in on, on Gensel and his future. So uh, it, it's a lot of holding you know, holding things down and kind of waiting things out. They picked up a, at least a point last night against in, in a decent comeback for them uh, against the Islanders. They ended up pulling the Isles ended up pulling off a couple points now because of uh, the OT win, but they're still, you know, trailing a few teams ahead of them. And, and the, the, the longer this goes, the harder it's going to get to climb above any of these clubs. I, I think they're, they're cautiously selling um, right now is probably the best way I would, describe what Dubas and the Penguins are up to at the moment. I wanted to ask you about a couple of young players that are on the Trade Watch 2024 list over at the fourth period. And there are some younger players as well. You've got Capo Caco, a former second overall pick in 2019. He's 23 and he's seventh. And then there's also Casey Middlestad at number nine, 25 years old, eighth overall pick back in 2017. Can you just tell us what you guys are thinking over at the fourth period as far as uh, these two players' availability and, and maybe location? Yeah. Um, because those are two fascinating players that might be available. Yeah, they, they are. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's not like the Rangers and Sabres are actively shopping these guys and, and, and saying we, we want to get rid of them. Um, it's two, two separate reasonings. One, from the Rangers' perspective, their limited assets and what they're willing to move. It's, and, and as they look to improve their roster now and, and beyond um, in bringing in somebody who is primarily controllable, uh, so either sign next year and, and after or as a younger asset, um, he seems to be the carrot that, that they're dangling, Kako is. Uh, so, you know, with the preference to not move their first-round pick this year at the behest of the owner because – he owns the sphere, James Dolan, and he wants to have a bit of a hoopla there. I mean, they could move the pick as long as they bring in a first-round pick and another deal. Um, semantics, either way, they want to have a first-round pick going into the draft. Uh, so without that piece available, Kako's name has, has come up, and there is a willingness to explore that from Chris Drury's perspective, their GM. Um, but this is more likely to occur with somebody who is at least signed for the next season. And there has been talk with Anaheim of both Henrik and Frankie Vitrano, uh, who is signed beyond this year. He's got one more year left on his deal. Uh, there seems to be some discussion points there that could involve in a larger deal, Kako as, as part of it. Uh, from Buffalo's perspective with Casey Middlestat, teams have been calling for some time and, and um, you know, their, their GM, Kevin Adams, has been listening. Um, he hasn't told anybody that he's not that he's not willing to move him, that he's untouchable. Again, a scenario of I don't want to get rid of the guy, but if the right hockey trade presents itself, and um, you know we can improve other areas of our club, uh, then we were we are going to consider it. That seems to be the mindset from Buffalo's perspective. He's leading them in scoring right now. Middlestad is, um, but he's an RFA with Arbrights in the summer, and there's the, the finances tied to it and what he could potentially end up earning. Um, seems to factor into Buffalo's decision. Again, not looking to give him away, but if you can move the asset, bring in somebody that's controllable up front, either on the wing or at, at center, in, in the early to mid-20s, that seems to be the mindset from Buffalo's perspective. David Pagnota, Editor-in-Chief, The Fourth Period, and Sirius XM 
NHL Network. David, terrific stuff as usual. Thanks for this, and uh, keep that phone charged, okay? <laughs> yeah, always, always. Thanks, guys. There he goes. Uh, straight ahead, Buck Martinez from Dunedin, Blue Jays color analyst for Sportsnet, and Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames, coming up at the top of the next hour. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan, powered by MortgagesToGo.ca, always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004. Visit MortgagesToGo.ca. At the top of the hour, Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames on Sportsnet 960, will join us. We're still taking your text messages, 960-960, name and location. We'll play these at 8.30. We're asking you, waiting for the Flames to make trades is like waiting for blank. Waiting for the Flames to make trades is like waiting for blank. 960-960. Right now, from beautiful, sunny Dunedin, Florida, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Blue Jays color analyst for Sportsnet, the legendary Buck Martinez on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me on. And yes, indeed, it is sunny here in Dunedin this morning. <laughs> um, Buck, I have to ask you, uh, we, we, it's well known that you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Are you still basking in the afterglow of yet another Super Bowl victory? You know, I am a little bit, but I'm certainly saddened by the uh, occurrences at the parade. It was a horrible thing to happen at such a great celebration. But, yeah, as far as the football goes, uh, that team's pretty special. And, uh, you know, I was there when they won the first Super Bowl in 1970, uh, when they won their first Super Bowl, Wow! Uh, playing for the Royals at that time. So, yeah, I've been a Chiefs fan for a long time, and it was good to watch them. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great game. And Patrick Mahomes, again, Another Super Bowl title. Uh, Buck, you've been in baseball a couple years. Uh, You've been involved in the game for a little bit here. Uh, Wanted to ask you, do you still still get the butterflies around spring training time? Yeah, you know what? I was just talking to Kevin Vigio about that this morning. He says, man, you got a little extra up in your step this morning. I said, you know what? Why wouldn't you? You're down here with the greatest players in the world in the Major League Baseball and – Beautiful sunny day. I'm just a few miles from my home, and uh, yeah, it's another uh, great spring. I'm looking forward to another good season for the Blue Jays, and uh, it's a pretty special time for everybody. Everybody's optimistic, and everybody thinks they can win the World Series. Uh, Buck, at what point does uh, spring training start to drag? I don't know if you're a player that it ever really drags because, uh, you know, you've got a lot to accomplish. The Blue Jays, uh, you know, they have not finished well the last few years when they're in the playoffs, and uh, they're really paying attention to details, and there's a lot that they have to uh, refine before they start the season. And the season gets off to a fast start. Four games in Tampa Bay, they go to Houston and New York before they ever get back to Rogers Center. So they got to be ready, and you got to open up uh, strong in April, and I think uh, – I don't think anybody's thinking about how long spring training is. I think they think about uh, what they can accomplish and get ready for the season here in Florida. Buck, I know a lot of fans look at this as maybe a little bit of a disappointing offseason, mostly based on what happened with Shohei Otani. But that being said, do you think this is a team that can win the World Series? Well, I think so. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, the offense is going to be a question mark until they get out there and score some runs. Everybody's going to wonder who's going to play third. You know what the lineup's going to look like. Can Danny Jansen have a healthy season in his walk season? Uh, will Alejandro Kirk get the ball in the air a little bit more often? A lot of questions. 
And uh, obviously, they didn't have the the offense we have become used to here most recently. Uh, last year wasn't a good offensive season, but boy, did they pitch. And I think the pitching prospects are even better this year than they were last year. There seems to be an awful lot of depth in camp. I, I think they have the potential for having uh, nine or ten potential starters that can really help mm-hmm. them should injuries crop up. And everybody knows last year they had a phenomenal season uh, as far as health. Everybody stayed healthy. Everybody made their uh, regular turns into rotation. And, uh, you know, Alec Manoa, he had a disappointing second year, but he's in great shape and got a smile on his face. So I think everybody thinks that this team could pitch even better this year than they did last year. You mentioned the hitting is going to be a big part of this, and a lot of the conversation has been centered around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. throughout the first, you know, week and a bit of camp getting opened up here. What have you seen from Vladdy, whether it's speaking to the media or in the batting cage? Well, you know what? Uh, everybody asks about his arbitration. How is Vladdy after arbitration? Well, first of all, they won, so that's a good thing, and he's going to make $19 million. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I don't think Vladdy ever concerns himself with what people say about him. He wants to play baseball, and he wants to win. That's always been consistent with Vladdy since the moment he got to the big leagues, but Right now, it's obvious he's in great shape. He looks much better than he did last year at this time. He's moving around, and as always is the case, he's got a big smile on his face. He's happy to be playing baseball again. And you know what? He just uh, needs to have a better approach at the plate, be more selective. Uh, If he doesn't get a good pitch to hit, uh, take the walk. And I, I think at times last year, he felt like he had to make up for the lack of offense the team was having. And that created problems for him. So, you know, they didn't add an awful lot outside of uh, Justin Turner. But at the same time, I I think Don Mattingly in his new role as the offensive coordinator is going to have an impact on the hitters' approaches this year. Uh, Buck, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I want to talk more about Vladdy. But can you explain what that actually (laughs) means? Because I'm not sure I know what it means. Well, it's a, it's a, you know, there are so many new roles in uh, in baseball now that I never heard of before. You know, you've got a sports psychologist, uh, you've got a mental skills coach, you've got a masseuse, a nutritionist, all kinds of people. But I think Don Mattingly, last year as the bench coach, he had to split his attention between defense and offense. So when his team was uh, in the field, he was running the controlling the running game for the other team. But now that's going to go into DeMarlo Hale's basket of chores, and Donnie will be able to talk nothing but hitting to the hitters. And what he's going to do is he's going to remind each hitter what their strengths are, what the pitcher's strength is, and, and how you manage that, along with where you are in the game, what's the score, what's your job now as a hitter in this particular situation, in this part of the game. And I think he's going to have a lot of time. He's really in enthusiastic about this new opportunity and I think it's going to pay dividends Uh, so many of these younger players nowadays have had things given to them and they've been able to have coaches tell them things they haven't had to think for themselves and now I think Donnie's going to help them think for themselves refine their approach and make sure that they don't play into the hitter into a pitcher's strengths that they stay with their own strengths um, Buck, when it comes to Vladdy Jr., I know it used to be the, the old adage of baseball, when you're in your mid-20s, 25, 26, that's when you really start to hit your prime. Vladdy's only turning 25 in about three weeks here. Like, do we forget about how young he still actually is? Absolutely, we do. 
you know what? And uh, you have to remind yourself because he's been around for so long and he came up at such a young age. And Vladdy's uh, been, been blessed <clears throat> with phenomenal physical talent. Uh, he's always been able to get by. He was always the best player wherever he played as a kid, as a minor leaguer early on in the big leagues. But uh, you know what happens when you create attention to yourself? Leagues study you, and they try to exploit your weaknesses. And now he has to understand that he only needs one pitch to hit. He doesn't have to hit all the pitches that he sees, and I think that was a problem for him in the past where he would just try to hit everything. And I think now with Justin Turner here, I think he's going to have a dramatic impact on all of the hitters in the lineup, but especially the run producers like Springer and Bichette and Vladdy. He understands how you drive in runs and how you change your mindset in those situations, and I think that's going to be a big asset because if you don't have a good pitch to hit, you're not going to be successful. And I, I think that's going to really play in the Bo's hand as well because Bo is so talented as well, much like Vladdy. He can hit pitches other hitters can't hit, but he can't necessarily do damage on all of those pitches, and that's what Don Mattingly is going to try to convey to him, and that's what J.T. Turner is, uh, Justin Turner is going to co- uh, convey to all of these hitters. Get your pitch and try to do some damage. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays color analyst for Sportsnet, joining us live from Dunedin, Florida, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet, 960 the fan how critical or key is the health of george springer to this lineup this season buck well you know what he had a great season last year he played very well in the field he i don't think he committed an error in right field but john snyder told me a couple weeks ago he felt like he played george too much at his age you know you have to be a little more prudent he plays on turf he plays a, a very demanding position and he hits the top of the order so he's going to have four or five at-bats every single day. So I think in talking to Springer, Snyder has decided that, you know, we're going to maybe be a little more aware of, of your wear and tear. Uh, he's getting older. Uh, like I say, he had a great year last year, especially in the field. But I think if he keeps him a little fresher, he will be able to provide more offense at the top of the order. But George had a good season last year, and, and I expect that um, he's primed and ready to have another good year this year. Buck, one of the things you mentioned is that third base position, and and I believe it was John Schneider who called it a cool puzzle to solve as far as who's going to play at second, who's going to play at third, and how are they going to kind of finalize the infield. Uh, Is that a cool puzzle to solve, and what might the solution look like? Well, you know, obviously uh, you'd like to have somebody here that's uh, the clear-cut winner of that position. And, you know, last couple of years it's been Matt Chapman, one of the premier defenders in all of baseball. But now they have some options. They have um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who won a gold glove at third base in 2020. Uh, They have Eduardo Escobar, who's a switch hitter that can play a lot of third base. And, of course, they have Kevin Vigio, who's played over there, but he's probably better at second. Santiago Espinal, David Schneider. There's a whole cast of players that are pretty good. But, um, you know, nobody really stands out as as a guy that's ahead in the race right now. It's not like you had Matt Chapman in camp and you say, okay, third base is fine. We can look at the position. So, you know, it'll probably be some combination of uh, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa, Eduardo Escobar, maybe Santiago Espinal there for a while. But you know what? We're a long way from opening day on March 28th, and we might even have different players by then. 
You mentioned as well nine to ten pitchers in this organization that could maybe be starters, and I think a, a lot of those staff last year returns, apart from Hyunjin Ryu, and, and all those guys look to be starters, but a lot of the questions are around Alec Manoa. What have you seen? How different does he look to you so far in camp? Well, the biggest thing that I wanted to see when I first saw Alec Manoa was his temperament, his mood. And uh, he's the same Alec Manoa we've seen the last few years. He's got a smile on his face. He's in great shape. Uh, I was a little concerned that he might come into camp with a chip on his shoulder, trying to prove the critics and the naysayers from a year ago wrong. And he, he doesn't appear to have that kind of mindset. And that's great. You know what? Uh, he had a phenomenal first full season a couple of years ago. Uh, he wasn't ready last year, got off to a bad start and could never catch up. Got sent to the minors a couple of times. But for me, he's in a good spot right now mentally, and I think that's a good start. He has worked very hard. I watch him every day, and he's doing all the drills and putting in all the work and making sure that he has the best opportunity to win that fifth spot in the rotation. And you know what? I don't think that's cut and dry that the only spot is the fifth spot. You know, he could throw really well and move up in the rotation, but, you know, those first four guys had great seasons a year ago, and I expect them to be that good again. But I'm pleased with where Alec Manoa is right now. Is Manoa the biggest wild card in camp, Buck? Um, I would say so. Uh, Manoa, Alejandro Kirk. Can he get back to the way he swung them out a couple of years ago? Uh, Danny Jansen, you know, all you want for Danny Jansen is a healthy season. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. He is a, a catcher with power. He does a great job with the pitching staff. Um, Vladdy Guerrero's got to be a concern, too. You know, is, is he going to give us the kind of season he had in 2021? And is he going to be an MVP candidate? He certainly has the potential to be that. And I think right now, looking at him and, and his enthusiasm, his ability to move around and the shape he's in, I think all of those things fall into place. And I'm not one bit concerned about the after effects of going to arbitration with your team. He's not that type of guy. He will not hold that personally, and all he wants to do is the Blue Jays to win. Are we talking enough about this bullpen? No, not at all. It's, to me, the best bullpen in baseball. And you know what? They, they, they don't have a, a real high-profile Josh Hader. Or they don't have a Edwin Diaz. But, boy, with the arms they have in their bullpen, uh, they have a, a, a unit where they can have two or three guys fresh every single night. And the other two or three guys can pitch the night after. And it's just like a, a rotation that's so deep. And First and foremost, you have Jordan Romano, who probably doesn't get the credit for how good he is. Everybody wants to look at the blown saves and, you know, the opportunities to get away, but he's really consistent. And he comes in and he gets you out of tough jams. Then you have Eric Swanson in his first year, who was phenomenal. But now you have Chad Green, a year further removed from Tommy John surgery, and that's historically been a much better year. That second year after TJ, when you really come around, Jimmy Garcia is a free agent. He's throwing the heck out of the ball right now. You've got two good left-handers in Mesa and Cabrera. Trevor Richards had a great year last year. Nate Pearson is throwing a split-finger pitch. Bowden Francis is throwing a split-finger pitch. Everybody wants to get better, and this is a very good bullpen. As I said, I think it might be the best bullpen in baseball. Tell us a little bit about Justin Turner's effect that he's had on this group already. 
Well, then Justin Turner is a pro. You know, he had a great year last year with the Red Sox. He drove in 96 runs, his best production in his career at 38 years old. And he's got a relationship with Don Mattingly. Of course, he played for Mattingly when Mattingly was the manager of the Dodgers. And, um, you know, he, he's just one of those guys that when he's in the clubhouse, everybody looks to him. And, you know, he, he has the confidence to produce in tough situations. He's been a run producer his entire career. He will probably play a little bit of third base, a little bit of first base, and DH, but he's going to hit in the cleanup spot. And that's a very important spot. And that's when you think about it, Thong Varsho started in the cleanup spot last year. And I think that was a big mistake. A first year guy coming over in a trade, you put him in that spot and expectations are sky high. And I I think that was part of his slow start and the, the, the struggles he had all season long. But now you put Justin Turner in there and he's legit. He knows how to drive in runs. He can hit with two strikes. He can hit with two outs. And uh, I, I just think that when he speaks in that clubhouse, everybody listens because he's done it before. He's done it for a long time, and um, he's a pro. And he's anxious to help this team win. He played in the East last year. He knows it's a tough division, but he also knows that there's talent on this team. Bo Bichette had done an interview with Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker before camp opened up, and he had mentioned Justin Turner, and he had mentioned J.D. Martinez as a couple of good players that were still available at the time. The Jays go out and get one as well. What do you think the kind of leadership of Bo Bichette has been as we get into this season? Have you seen a little bit of a change in his mentality? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, Bo is a leader by example. He plays hard. He runs hard. He, he's improved his defense dramatically, but you know, he's still a young guy. And uh, it's, I would say in all of my years, I, I think there might be a handful of quote unquote leaders in all of baseball guys that command respect when they walk into the clubhouse before you ever know them. And, um, you know, I just think that Justin Turner is one of those guys. And, you know, over the years, the Blue Jays have had, you know, a leader here and there. And, you know, Bautista was that after his got established in 2009 and 2010. Um, Edwin Encarnacion was certainly that kind of leader, Russell Martin. But, you know, first of all, you got to have stripes on your arms to do that. And secondly, you've got to be an everyday player to do that. And thirdly, you have to have a personality that touches everybody. And Justin Turner has that kind of personality. Bo is a very, very good player that can do a lot of things to help you win on the field. But I don't know that he's a, a, a leader at this point in his career. He's still a young guy, too, just like Vladdy. Buck, how annoyingly good is the American League East again this year? <laughs> you know what? I don't think it's quite as good as it has been in the past. Oh, okay. Um, in, I, I really don't. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of question marks in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Baltimore, they caught everybody off guard last year. I still expect them to be good, but they've got two of their starting pitchers down right now. Um, the Yankees, yeah, they brought in Marcus Stroman, and, you know, Marcus has had a great career, but, you know, I don't know that he can be the dominant pitcher that he was for the Blue Jays in, in 15 and 16. You know, they got Garrett Cole, no question about that, but Rizzo's a bit older. They're going to ask Judge to play center field. Uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, they keep saying, well, he's going to be great. Well, he's older now, and he hasn't had a good year for quite a while, especially with the Yankees. Juan Soto makes them better. Verdugo probably makes them better, but 
I'm concerned about the well-being physically of Aaron Judge playing in center field, a demanding position because you got to cover a lot more ground. And he's six seven, and he had a foot problem last year. So, um, you know, I don't know what Volpe's going to do in his second season. You know, he barely hit over 200 and struck out a lot. But um, I, I don't think the Yankees are quite the concern they have been in the past. Uh, I like Baltimore, but they've got concerns about their rotation. Uh, Boston doesn't seem to be much of a threat right now. Uh, Tampa Bay, as much as we'd like to discount them, somehow they always figure things out and become uh, a good ball club. But uh, I don't think the East is quite as difficult as it has been in the past. And I think the Blue Jays, probably overall, 26-man roster, they got the best team. Buck, that's uh, that's great to hear. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays color analyst for Sportsnet. Buck, always a pleasure. Enjoy that sunshine. Thanks for this. All right, great to be with you guys. We'll talk again soon. There he is, Buck Martinez on the Atlas Pizza in Sports Bar guest hotline. There you go. The East isn't as bad as we think it is. That's exciting. Isn't as good as we think but it is. But it is as good, excuse me. Maybe it's a little worse than we think it is. That's exciting. That's surprising, too. Like, what, was it the Liam Hendricks signing with Boston the other day? Liam too? Hendricks. Liam Hendricks. <laughs> Every time I see his name, I can't help but say it in a bad Australian accent. Did you see Liam that? Hendricks. Did you see that quote from Juan Soto the other day, too? No. What was it? Uh, him and Aaron Judge. I think he said... If it's not two walks, it's two down the corridor when they're hitting back-to-back. Oh, okay. I don't like that. Sick. Great. It's not bad. <laughs> it's a pretty good one-two pretty, punch. It's a pretty good line, too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good one-two punch. You imagine oh, just walking those two back-to-back. Just just put a runner in scoring position just so we don't have to deal with these guys. It's just easier that way. Yeah, I, I, you just worry about everything else with the Yankees. I wonder if Jen's staying be healthy. healthy and they're pitching. I think it's um, up for anybody. I think, uh, I think this division, I think anybody but Boston can win it. Yeah, uh, again, uh, the the Rays are annoyingly good always. But it, again, it, it, feels like, it feels like their time in the sun is coming to an end. I don't want to, like, it just feels like it, sure. they got off that huge, crazy start last year, and they were yeah. maybe a 500 team the rest of the way. Hopefully. And that ballpark is just such a house of horrors. Yeah. just... Everything about the race, it's annoying. Hopefully they get the Doing new parts. shoestring budget, too. always smart, always making these great moves, always competitive. Mm-hmm. They're annoying. They got the no income tax helps. Yeah. You can bring in some guys on the cheap. All right. Um, straight ahead, Derek Wills, the voice of the Calgary Flames. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he was at the poker tournament last night. Yeah, I think it goes during the day. It's like a 2 o'clock thing. Yeah. I assume he was there. Okay. Well, we'll ask him it's that. a safe uh, assumption. We'll get his thoughts on... Uh, can this team squeeze into the playoffs here? Can that actually happen? Because the inconsistency has been a little frustrating here lately amid all the trade speculation swirling around the team. We'll talk to Derek Wills, and uh, we'll also wrap up today's show with our lock of the day, of course, and your text messages. Waiting for the Flames to make a trade is like waiting for blank. Waiting for the Flames to make their trades is like waiting for blank. 960-960, name and location. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.